Shalom, shalom. Welcome back to Chatting Rabbis from Munster, Indiana. This is Eliezer Zalmanov. Hi, Eliezer. This is Rabbi Mendy Chitrick from Istanbul, Turkey. <laughs> Hello, Rabbi Chitrick. How do you do? It's good to see you. When you start with Shalom, shalom, that's what follows. <laughs> exactly. Shalom, shalom, la rachok v'lakarov, to the far and the near. Peace upon all of you. Amen. Thank you for joining us again for another episode where we talk about whatever's on our minds and whatever our listeners suggest that we talk about. So we've been getting a lot of recommendations and suggestions for topics, and we can assure our listeners that in due time, we will get to all of them. Bli neder and mirtashem, God willing. But one thing I did want to talk about this week, and uh, I know this is more of something that you did, but it was, it was fascinating to me. Um, I saw that you spent last weekend in Vienna, Austria, with a group of teenagers from Istanbul. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about how you got there and what you were doing there and what the purpose of the trip was. But I did want to say what was most fascinating to me was that a mere 75, 80 years after World War II, where uh, when Judaism was all but wiped out in Europe, and it came from Vienna, it came from Austria. And Judaism today is thriving, is flourishing, and is, uh, it, it's possible to be a proud Jew in the streets of Europe like never before. So how was your weekend there? What, what brought you there? So yes, definitely. It's an, it was an amazing experience. I went to a group of, uh, I think, 26 of our, of our young uh, you know, teenagers from our community. Um, we went to participate in the Chabad C-Team program, which is an amazing program where uh, teenagers from all over the world get together. They have some Shabbatons and other events, uh, summer camps and other events. And we have here a local C-Team chapter. So C-Team stands for, C-team stands for Chabad Teens, and it's had run out of, I guess, uh, each local Chabad has their chapter, and then regionally, they have uh, Shabbatons and uh, get-togethers all over the United States and other countries. And this is my first time hearing about a Sitin Shabbaton in, in Europe. So that was fascinating. Yes, yeah, so we had a Sitin Shabbaton in Europe, a weekend where some 300 uh, teenagers, uh, 250 teenagers from uh, 19 countries around Europe and some of their rabbis and, and uh, Sitin leaders came together in Vienna to spend three days together, um, having a beautiful Shabbos, song, good food, um, sightseeing, and reconnecting and sort of uh, strengthening connection to Jews, connectioning, connecting to, to their heritage, instilling Jewish pride. Some of the kids shared their personal stories, fascinating stories, shared what makes them connected and committed to Jewish life. Um, what's in it, it's quite an amazing. I left a very strong impression on many of uh, of the stu of the young teenagers that came with us. Um, and you know, spending time in Vienna, as you mentioned before, it, it you know, walking on the streets and Taborstrasse and other places, and see every second building has these uh, little uh, uh, plaques on the floor, which do reminds people who walk by and who lived in those uh, buildings prior to the Second World War, prior to the Holocaust, when they, when they were taken into, uh, you know, to concentration camp, never to return. The city of, of Vienna is a city with a long, long, long Jewish history, starting from the 
12th century and the 13th century, where he had some of the greatest scholars of Jewish life lived in Vienna. Rabbi Yitzchak of Vienna, the author of the Or Zarua, the teacher of Maram of Rottenburg, or the teacher of the Rosh. I mean, these are, you know, great sages of uh, Jewish history. And, you know, the Rabbi Yitzchak Or Zarua and his son, Abhaim Or Zarua, uh, lived in Vienna. His, uh, his synagogue was actually uh, excavated a couple years ago, right in Judenplatz, in the, really in the center of Vienna, in the place where there is stands today and where uh, there's a, a memorial well, for the Holocaust, for the 200,000 Jews of Vienna that perished uh, during the Holocaust, but also uh, prior uh, pogroms and events uh, for the Jews. There's a very, very moving uh, memorial in Judenplatz that has uh, you know, a whole bunch of books um, backwards, uh, you know, facing backwards, symbolizes that the story has never ended. And this memorial stands in a place of a synagogue that was burnt in, I think, the year 1420, um, burnt with all the entire Jewish community of Vienna at the to- at the place. And it, right in front of it, there is a, um, from the Middle Ages, there is a, uh, a sort of an, an anti-Semitic inscription, um, also from the same time. And yet, to the side of it, there is a very moving inscription by the, by the church asking for, for forgiveness from the Jewish people. A, re- a recent edition? Yeah, or? a recent edition was added. In, it was put there, I think, in, uh, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a picture of it because it was so moving. Asking for forgiveness for the, the various pogroms that happened uh, in Vienna, the annihilation. Not just the Holocaust, but going all the way back in history. Exactly, going all the way back in history because the Jewish community in Vienna has uh, three or four, uh, you know, waves, starting with the most ancient community of the Ozerua, uh, which ended a couple of hundred years later with the burning of the synagogue in, in the 15th century, and then the community that came afterwards and that ended in the, with the Holocaust, with the annihilation of the Jews and the community that came after that and was rebuilt um, on those, uh, in a quite a strong community today in Vienna, the community that has, uh, I think, eight or 9,000 Jews, um, two or three or four Jewish schools, a Chabad, major, huge major Chabad Jewish school, other community schools. There is a Jewish, um, a Jewish university, the Louder Business School. There are Bukhari synagogues and and uh, Georg- Georgian synagogues and Ashkenazi synagogues and Hasidic synagogues and city synagogues and Jewish life, you know, quite quite a few uh, kosher restaurants, Jewish butchers. Wow, quite interesting. So how how do uh, how do uh, teens, since this was a teen event, a teenagers event, how do they relate to the history that's there, uh, both recent within the last century and and far back? Do they do they appreciate? Do they recognize that the only reason I'm asking is because in our community we don't have a lot of Jewish teens, so I don't I don't really have that much experience dealing with teenagers and trying to connect them to the past. The few that we have had come through our doors in the past have gone on to uh, attend teen events and they've gone to Chabad on campus and some of them have started their own families based on what we've taught them. But I'm always curious if you have such a large contingent of teens 
and you want to, on one hand, inspire them and excite them with uh, contemporary Judaism, and then obviously you don't want to show them how horrible things were in the past. At the same time, how do they connect to the past? How do they connect to all this historic, uh, all these facts, and uh, and also the uh, the atrocities that are right there in front of them? So the, the, there are several aspects to it. Uh, first of all, I think that the Jews, including teenage kids, do want to and can relate and connect to our history. And the fact that we standing there 80 years after the Holocaust, standing at Judenplatz, at this very same place where Jews have been persecuted for so many years, and the teens by themselves start dancing and singing Am Yisrael Chai. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, very strong feeling that yes, despite all difficulties, we are still here. And, you know, we don't like to speak about the Jewish guilt. We don't like to, to pack uh, and have a Judaism based on, on guilt and, and feeling bad for, for the past. But still, there is something to it. Kids feel responsibility. If people um, gave their lives for the sake of Judaism, they too, as we, feel there is a need or a holy, um, a holy mission to continue. So, so to speak, that the, that the past shouldn't go for for waste. Right, so, the, so the way it's it's packaged, and and forgive me for using this uh, crass term, but the way it's sold, it's not that Judaism is based on the, the the horrors of the past or the Holocaust and everything before that and the pogroms, but that those are facts that existed. Those those are facts that you know, events that occurred. There's nothing we can do about changing the past, but we could focus on the future. So do the, do the kids understand that? Or, the, when you, or when you start talking to them about the Holocaust, do they start rolling their eyes and like, okay, here's another person talking to us about how scary it is to be a Jew, especially with anti-Semitism on the rise, or at least supposed rise. Do the, do, the, do kids in Europe feel that? I, I, think, I think that, the, the, first of all, it's not just supposed, right? There's definitely a rise in anti-Semitism. Um, we know very well what is going on right now in the United States. We see that, and we hear that, and we feel that. So there is a rise in anti-Semitism. We shouldn't deny it. And whether you like it or not, it is something that the kids are aware of and something that kids should be, know to address and also should know what anti-Semitism can bring to. And as did in the past, in a not-such-distant past. At the same time, no, it wasn't the trip to Vienna for the Holocaust. It was a trip to Vienna for Jewish life. Right. It just happened to have been in a city with a big history. That's right. Like as any other city in Europe, uh, with, with that's true. It has such history, you know. And uh, my my grandfather grew up, and we spoke about him uh, several times. My grandfather, Rabbi Lieberman of Antwerp, uh, grew up in Antwerp, and that is the city where he ran away from as the Nazis approached. And he moved back to, to live there for another 45 years to be the rabbi of the city. So history is part of whom we are, part of what we are, and definitely shapes every step of that what we do. And many things of what we do are a reaction to what happened in the Holocaust, including the uh, secularization of, of Jews and the outreach efforts by Lubavitch are definitely... Uh, some sort of reactions to the Holocaust. You can't deny that. No, of course uh, not. So, so yes, that is, it's all part of the package, even if you say it or you don't say it. But it was a celebration of Jewish life. 
And also here we could see that really funny contrast. We were dancing at Judenplatz, Am Yisrael Chai, and singing I'm a Jew and I'm proud, and singing uh, all those uh, Benny Friedman songs of whatever, what is it called? Uh, uh, Yesh Tikva, and Yachad, and I'm a Jew, and etc., uh, etc. Et and then one of uh, a prominent figure in the Austrian community whom I know, and I admire for what he does, uh, different, different things, come over to me and says, what a terrible Chilul Hashem. What's the Chilul Hashem? You're making such noise here. And I said, you know what? <laughs> I ain't going to say a word to the teenagers who are dancing out of their hearts and singing here in Judenplatz, Am Yisrael Chai. Can you blame that on being a yaka? I don't want to blame on anything. I just, uh, you know what? If you want to know why Jewish youth will come to a sittings and to Chabad, it's just because of that. <laughs> it's just because of the reaction for Jews singing. It shouldn't be... What a terrible Chil Hashem. What are the, what are the neighbors going to say? They're not what are the neighbors going to say because what the neighbors said we already know from 80 years ago. <laughs> right now it is what Jews do and not what the neighbors say. And I really couldn't care less what the neighbors say. This is a this is Platz. It's a place where, where Jews have been killed and now Jews are going to come sing here because this is because this is our natural reaction as Lubavitchers, our natural reaction. I believe it's Jews. Oh, I thought it was our natural reaction as Jews. And for me, it sounded so... Whew, what a terrible Chil Hashem. Some, okay. some people, and I'm not, not, not to speak about this person himself, as a, as an individual, but some people are generally caught up in uh, in the uh, external uh, matters more than what really what really matters and what 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 really counts. So yeah, you could say that uh, you th- that all Jews should react that way. And the truth is that the Jew within all of us will react that way and does react that way. But sometimes externally we forget about that and then we behave differently. That's generally the uh, the Chabad approach. Right. As shluchim of the Rebbe, that's how we that's how we approach everything. That even someone who who declares his atheism and, dec- and obviously this person is not as not like that at all. Just giving an example, someone who declares he's an atheist and doesn't believe in God and hates everything about Judaism and even goes out of his way to to hurt and destroy Judaism, God forbid. And we still say about that person that deep down his his soul, his neshama is alive and it's burning and it wants to do the right thing. And that's never going to change, and that'll never uh, that'll never affect the truth. That's right. That's right. But but uh, you know this was a really a a a good good um, you know sign to me that what we're doing is right because at the end of the day, look, um, the, the, you know we had a great time. I, I was probably one of the oldest uh, Chabad chaperones at this uh, thing. You know I, I I hate to see it. I hate to say it and see it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you hate to say it, but you love to see it. No, no, I hate, I hate to see it. I hate to say it, um, you know. But I'm 45 years old. Maybe already a white beard over there. I hate to see it and hate to say it. But um, uh, still, you know, I, we still have this uh, this youth. You know, we, we we had a great game after Shabbos. It was actually my idea. I said, you know, European kids they love football, especially now. We know we are in the World Cup time of the World Cup we discussed that too I'm, I'm not not great into into any type of uh, these type of competitive sports um, but uh, or any any ball game is not my ball game um, and and so we had uh, we had a, a grand uh, football or you you guys call it soccer soccer tournament 
and you should have seen those kids and the rabbis so into it. And we had actually a cup. We we won we won the the the, the, the C team cup. I shall show it to you. We have it. But the, the Turkish C team group won the. The Turkish C team group <laughs> won the C team. A seat in Europe Shabbaton tournament winter 5783 2022. You have to send me a picture of that because I don't think our, uh, our listeners can see the video. <laughs> you should have seen really cool. how our, the, the, our youth, they were so excited about it. They, we won the cup. We won fair and square. The last game was 2-7 uh, to seven against Portugal. Right, that's a blowout. It's a complete blowout. You should have seen the Portu- the kids from Portugal crying, the, you know, <laughs> crying their eyes out after the game or the game before between Portugal and Hungary and the Hungarian kids uh, blaming the referee for for uh, <laughs> for favoring the Portuguese. Oh wow, the serious stuff. This was serious stuff. Well, for me it wasn't really that serious. I'm not I know, but but you know, you know, we're running around cheering the kids, and they had the great, the greatest time of their lives. I mean, it was, it was, it was really wonderful, and you know, it was good spirits. Um, everybody coming together, make a, you know, make a mitzvah before before the game, say lechaim after the game. It was, it was, it was really, really wonderful. Great. It was, it was really great, and um, you know, and the fact that they could see these uh, these youth can see that even an old rabbi like myself with my sotuk and my hat, uh, cheering up on their game, running after the ball. Uh, we even had the team of rabbis, and you know, then we got all excited about when we when we won the won the cup uh, of the European seating tournament. That's great. That's that's a great story. <laughs> tie, to tie to tie it all together. So do these kids don't interact with the other C team groups from other countries during the year. It's just this once a year when they come together for a Shabbaton. Right. It's once or twice a year when they come together the Shabbaton. Still, of course, we get ideas. There's also a big C uh, team Shabbaton in New York once a year, and that's for international people coming from everywhere. Um, that's right. I'm not sure we're going to make it here, though. There are some parents who want us to take their kids to the New York Shabbaton because we heard it's really a great opportunity for kids. It is a little expensive or more than a little expensive for, you know, for our, for, for us to, to, to do that. You mean just, just the, fl- the flight aspect of the it? The flight, the, the, lo- the accommodation. Accommodations it, it also, it takes about a week of school. It's not like, you know, you fly to Europe, you, you, you fly on Thursday evening, you come back Sunday night, it's three days. It's okay, you know. Going going to New York is a, is a much much bigger commitment. You gotta leave if you're from Europe. Gotta leave Thursday, till you get back. It's already uh, a Monday or Tuesday. It's not not such a simple thing. Or maybe Monday Monday night. It's not so simple. Still, yes, you know, it's it's a, definitely this whole thing is a great uh, a great opportunity. It's a, it's a great thing, and it's a, I also want to mention before before we move on. I want to mention also we gotta thank. We mentioned two weeks ago. Rabbi Kotlarski and his team got to mention them again, because this whole uh, seating concept uh, comes out from uh, is goes through the effort of Rabbi Kotlarski and Mendy Kotlarski and uh, Shimon Rifkin and uh, Ben C. Lipsker of the Merovimim Fund. Hey, all these people put in uh, invest a lot a lot of money into this, and this is uh, this is the future of Judaism, future of Jews, future of of, 
of every of everything that that we as Jews, as rabbis, everything that we stand for. I mean, the fact that it, that it exists. First of all, the Shabbaton, the big Shabbaton in New York, and the regional Shabbatons that uh, that you were at, and I know that they happen in, in regions around uh, around America as well. And just the fact that such an organization exists to facilitate that is is testament to the, the uh, thinking out of the box that that the Chabad generally uh, adapts the uh, out-of-the-box thinking, where for years, communities were communities. You had a shul, and you had a Hebrew school, and then when a kid graduated your Hebrew school, if he went to a Jewish school, great. If not, then uh, then he went wherever, and then, uh, then the child the, uh, who's now a teenager moves on to college, so you hope they go visit Chabad on campus, which also didn't exist for, for, in, in, in the same on the same level that it does now. The fact that uh, there's there's a place for oh, every demographic, every age group, and uh, everybody's being given uh, given attention, starting from Chabad Hebrew schools and preschools and shuls and day schools and communities that can that can support one and seating for uh, for teenagers and Chabad on campus, and then there's. Uh, shluchim that focus entirely on giving Torah classes and shluchim that focus entirely on serving seniors, senior citizens, and everywhere in between, from uh, from uh, from cradle to grave, as they say, the, the, that out of the box thinking, and a lot of it, like you said, is is credit to to Rabbi Katlarski's office in New York and uh, his son Rabbi Mendy Katlarski, who's a good friend of mine and also a cousin of mine. But that I have a lot of cousins in Chabad, so that doesn't say much, and. Uh, the, su- the success of Chabad is due to both parts, the uh, out-of-the-box thinking of the, the headquarters of the office in New York, but also the out-of-the-box creativity of the actual shluchim on the ground. Because at the end of the day, the headquarters, headquarters can only provide you so much. It's the, the boots on the ground, so to speak, and the shluchim themselves that make it a uh, success that it is. And the fact that you travel to Vienna with a group of 20 teens is in uh, no small part testament to your reach no, your no, no, effect no, no. on your that's, community. That's, it's not my reach. This is all my wife's thing. I mean, the sitting. Uh, when I when I say you, I mean you and you and your wife. I don't mean uh, you just yourself. And uh, of course, as as a team, shluchim shluchim succeed as a team, and, and we don't take credit for anything that we do ourselves without our uh, better halves. Right. So it's it's really, but the, here in particular, it's uh, my wife's uh, connection with the parents and the teens. So that she she is the one who brought the group together. Um, but I want to tell you another something else. You know, at the same time, all while we were in uh, in in Vienna, our kids, our five kids who are home, ran a whole Shabbos here for seventy uh, Shabbos guests. I mean, the fact that we went to Vienna with twenty sixteens didn't take away from the fact that we still had to host in our house uh, seventy guests. For Shabbos. Wow. Um, so my son Yuda was 11 years old. They prepared the cholent, prepared the meat and the fish. My daughter uh, Dvoralea, who's uh, 14, prepared the cakes and pasta and vet- cooked vegetables. My daughter Hanakela, who is 9, prepared the salads and dressings and everything else. And every- all the other kids were busy um, preparing. We had some of our locals uh, help in uh, running the Shabbos table. We also brought my niece from Israel, um, recently married niece uh, from Israel. She came t- with her husband to, uh, to uh, you know, there should be some rabbi figure sitting at the table. So uh, to babysit? Not to babysit, but you know, to to we need somebody to make kiddush and say it for Torah. You know, can't and run the minion. 
um, can't just do you know leave it for my uh, for my younger kid. But uh, yes, you know that's uh, that's part of our part of our life and part of our job is is not you know you you have to to you have to cater to many different demographics, many different uh, people for different needs. We whether it is food for Shabbos, whether it is spiritual food in Vienna, whether it's my son Eli in Qatar. Or everybody else. I mean, this is our, that's that's who we are. And we spoke about it last week. Yeah, some communities that have a much larger population and also a much larger operation in their Chabad house and or in their, in their community center, where you have the main shliach, the main rabbi who and his wife who oversee everything. And then you have individual, one uh, shliach deals with youth, other one shliach deals with college students, another shliach deals with uh, seniors, like I said before, and the one shliach deals specifically with Torah classes and so on, all in one community. But when you're in a smaller community, especially in a community like mine, but I guess in yours as well, where you're the one shliach who has to do everything, your, your children pick up uh, on, uh, on, on this and, and they're able to, to jump right in and fill in, and it's happened here too. Uh, we don't usually have 70 people for a Friday night dinner, but there have been times that I had to be away for Shabbos and my, my children uh, jump right in. And, uh, and, and seamlessly, everything runs just fine. But like I've said in the past, that if there's ever a Shabbos that my wife is away and uh, people know that I'm the one preparing the Kiddush and the Chalant, then uh, they take, take that as an excuse to stay away that Shabbos and to, and to relax instead of coming to Shul. And I don't blame them. All right. On the other hand, I mean, the fact that, that we, me and my wife, uh, have to do it all alone is uh, not uh, by choice. It's just we just don't have uh, the funds to, ha- to have and to employ another, another couple. We wish we would. If we would be, we have another couple that uh, Rabbi Mendy Posh and his wife, they're on the Asian side of the city. Um, but if we would have had the funds, we would be able to have at least two, three more families here uh, working for us. And, you know, that's a challenge. That besides all that, we also have to work on, uh, on fundraising and finding the funds to be able to actually, uh, you know, materialize all these beautiful uh, plans that we have, including the seatings. They say, yeah, you know, they, the cost that, uh, that is to, to bring seatings and to have them excited and to pay their tickets. They participate in part, but to find scholarship for those who cannot pay and to have them all coming and joining it's it's a, it's a major it's a major cost major burden we happily take and t- take upon ourselves this burden because we think it is crucial for the for the continuation and the of, of Judaism that's why that's actually why we do it but still yeah, I know we've, we've spoken about this a lot uh, and we, we have a lot of listeners who are not necessarily part of the Chabad Lubavitch community and are some of them have been surprised and, and actually shocked that Chabad headquarters doesn't bankroll and fund every one of our activities and how it all falls on our shoulders as the local shliach to fund and to promote and to and to schnorr, to use a very uh, <laughs> practical term, begging people for money so that we could support and, and sustain our activities. And that's part of, uh, part of the job that we signed up for, and it's not a surprise to us. But when people hear about it, they can't believe that uh, all these beautiful Chabad houses and so, much, so many activities and hundreds of people coming and going through our doors, and the one person or the one couple that's paying for it is the shliach and the shlucha. And uh, I think if, if anything uh, that, our, that our podcast accomplished is that uh, people are, are more aware of this and, and donate generously to... Any Chabad house, it could be your local Chabad house, it could be a Chabad house of a friend, it could be a Chabad house of someone you know from social media, 
you know, be, be generous and, and help the shluchim. And by doing that, even if you live in Brooklyn or if you live in, uh, if you live in Teaneck or in Miami, you're, uh, you're still uh, able to participate and be a part of this uh, worldwide revolution of the Rebbe Shlichas. Right. And if you want to direct your donations to Chabad of Turkey or Chabad of Munster, Indiana, you're more than welcome to do so. We won't complain. Not at all. It was good talking to you, Eliezer, as always. As always, Shavua Tov. Have a great rest of your week. And Shabbat Shalom. And Shabbat Shalom, because whenever you listen to this, Shabbos is always around the corner. Take care. Zaygezant. See ya.